So we all, let's go to the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. We're going to read it through, and then uh, we'll come back and, and dig into it. So it reads, the word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chesviv, in the twelfth year, while I was in Susa, the capital that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept, wow, mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great awesome God who preserves the covenant in loving kindness for those who who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive. And your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. And I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which you commanded your servant Moses Remember the words which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. Verse 10. They are your servants. And your people whom you redeem by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Grant him compassion before this man. So today we're going to talk about calling, your calling. We're going to talk about purpose. Why am I here, right? What is my calling? What is my purpose? We're going to also discuss uh, building up broken people and broken communities. And so we're going to get this direction here from the book of Nehemiah. But before we dig into this text more, I kind of want to just give you my journey to this text. Um how do I say it? Over the past couple of weeks, the Lord has really put a burden on my heart for the poor or forgotten people, forgotten communities. And some of you who know me, you'll, you'll probably say, Jerome, you've always had that bent towards the, the poor and, and broken communities. And you're probably right that that has always been my bent. Um, like, for example, the homeless ministry, uh, the prison ministry and the convalescent ministry that I was part of. Those were some of my most favorite ministries. I love going going to the homeless shelter. I love going to the prison in Stockton and ministering to the inmates and going to the convalescent homes and seeing people that don't even speak, just start to sing songs of praise. And, and I love that stuff. But notice that all of these groups, these are groups that people often forget about. 
even even Christians. And so as I'm doing my daily Bible study and daily devotion uh, the past couple of weeks, the Lord has just been bringing me these passages regarding this forgotten or maligned group, particularly the poor. I'm reading um, Jesus's interaction with the rich young ruler, as I mentioned last week in Luke 18. And you see how Jesus tells him to go and sell all of your stuff. And the people he tells him to give it to is the poor. He doesn't tell him to go give it to the treasury or, or the church, which is the church there. But he tells him to go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Let me let me say, I'm, I'm not trying to tell you to not give to the church because we're supposed to give to the church. Scripture says we're supposed to give to support the body. That's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm making a point that Christ has just been working on me and just showing me how important it is to not forget about these communities. And so as I'm reading these passages where, where the Lord is just showing me about these broken communities that are often forgotten, I also begin to look at uh, Luke 14. That verse came to mind where the Pharisee, where, where the Pharisee invites Jesus to his house for dinner. And all of these people are there. And, and, and Jesus goes up to the Pharisee that invited him. And he tells him, when you have this type of dinner, he tells him to go out and invite the poor. He says, invite the, invite the crippled and, and invite the lame, the blind, bring them to dinner. And he ultimately tells him that God will repay him at the resurrection. And so I'm reading that verse and I'm looking at Luke 18 and, and then God brings to mind Proverbs 19:17. Matter of fact, I, go there for somebody go to Proverbs 19:17. I want somebody to read it for me. If you have it, just say amen and, and read it. Proverbs 19:17. This is a verse when I first read it, kind of blew me away. There you go. The one who is gracious, our new King James Version would say, the one who gives to the poor is lending to the Lord. When I, when I read it, I'm like, huh? If me giving to the poor is like lending to the Lord. And so I'm just seeing God's heart for, for the poor and these, these broken communities. And so I'm, I'm meditating on that verse. And then I just look over. Same page because your Bible opens up and I'm looking at Proverbs 21, 13. <laughs> and there it says that he who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. So God has just been working on me and I'm just like, whoa, God, I, I'm seeing your, your heart. I'm seeing your heart for broken people. I'm seeing your heart for, for the poor. I'm seeing your heart for these situations. So God has just been working in me and just working in me. And then he brings me here to the book of Nehemiah. And I begin to see how, how the, the gospel elements, I begin to see how these gospel elements in the book of Nehemiah are used to build up broken and defeated people. I'm seeing how the, the gospel elements in Nehemiah are used to rebuild the city. And I'm also seeing how God in this book of Nehemiah uses an unlikely individual to have an impact of change. And also see how purpose and calling comes to play in the book of Nehemiah. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at God's heart for those who are broken. We're going to look at people's responsibilities. We're going to look at Nehemiah's calling, his passion. We're going to look at the thing that he's drawn to. 
But before we dig there, I got to ask you this question. What are you called to? What do you feel? What is on your heart? What are you burdened with? What is that thing that you feel that God is drawing you to? For some, it may be women's ministries. For others, they may feel a draw to the local church. To some, it may be to, to children. To others, it may be the elderly. It may be to the homeless, to fathers, to, to single mothers. Whatever your calling, your draw is. I believe that we all can be inspired by this book of Nehemiah. So we just, we just read chapter one, but I, I hope that you go home on your own time and read through this whole book and you will be inspired about purpose and calling. So the book of Nehemiah here, chapter one that we just read, the book of Nehemiah, it starts off with some bad news. As we just read, Nehemiah is receiving bad news. His brother is coming and telling him about his homeland, the city of his father's. And he's telling Nehemiah, as we just read, he's, he's telling him about how the city is in shambles, basically, and how the people are doing really bad. So Nehemiah is, is in this position. He's the king's cupbearer. And his brother comes to him and, and gives him this really bad news about the city of his father and how the people are just doing really bad. Before we keep digging here, let, let me give you a 150 year recap in about a minute. So I can bring you up to speed of what time and place and the occasion was happening here. So the children of Israel were disobedient to the Lord. They went off and did their own thing. They turned from God. God told them, if you do this, I'm going to scatter you. There's going to be problems if you do this thing. So the children of Israel constantly turn from God. They go and serve other gods. They constantly are committing sin. They're not being obedient to the Lord. And so the Lord allows their enemies to overtake them. So in comes Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in. He overtakes Jerusalem. He he he, he sends all of the people into exile. So they they're leaving Judea, Judea and they go to Babylon, which is modern day uh, Iran. So he kicks them out and uh, burns down the city. The temple gets messed up. The walls of the gate, all of that, get burned down and thrown over. So the children of Israel are now in exile in Babylon. But after Nebuchadnezzar goes out of business, another king arises, which is Cyrus the Great. Cyrus the Great, he's the great Persian king. He comes on the scene. Cyrus the Great is a really religious guy. He's a really spiritual guy, I would say. And so he gets this revelation that he needs to let all these people go back to their homelands to build temples, to worship God, and to offer up offerings for Cyrus. So Cyrus now lets the children of Israel leave Persia, modern-day Iran, and go back to Judea so that they can rebuild the temple and offer up sacrifices and praises and to pray for Cyrus. After Cyrus goes out of business, you have all of these different emperors coming on the scene. And, and so the children of Israel are trying to build this temple, but they're getting stalled because some of the kings don't like it. And they have all of these people coming against them. Eventually, they rebuild the temple, but it's never as beautiful as it was in the days of Solomon. And so that's where we're at right now here in the scene. That was just 150 years. I just recapped for you in about a few a few seconds. So 150 years later, after Jerusalem was burned down, the wall was turned down. This is where we're at right here in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's right here. He's the king's cupbearer and he's receiving this bad news of what's happening with the, the city. Now, I want you to notice Nehemiah gets this bad news, right? 
He gets this bad news about his homeland and his brethren and his family. And let's look what he does in verse four after he receives this bad news. Verse four says this. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. So Nehemiah gets this bad news. And what is the first thing that happens to Nehemiah? He says he he sits down and he begins to weep and mourn for days. But Nehemiah is not in Jerusalem where the problem's at. Nehemiah is days away in Iran. But he, he hasn't seen the problem of what's going on. He has only heard it by the ear. But yet he is sitting here broken to the point of weeping and crying for days, not because of his particular situation, but because of the situation of someone else, because of the city of his fathers. He is broken and he is being just in pain because of what's happening to other people, even though he is days, days away. And this, this reminds me of our discussion on radical compassion. Do you remember radical compassion? And how we talked about in, in, in Hebrews 13, 3, where, where the scripture says that we are to remember the prisoner as if we are in prison with him. Remember the good Samaritan. Remember that, that compassion that he had. And so we're seeing this same compassion right now worked out in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is broken over the situation, over the plight of another person, another individual, the city of his father, his homeland even though he himself is not in that place. So we're seeing this, this heart and this compassion of Nehemiah. But what happens next? What, what does God do next? Let's look at the text. Matter of fact, before we get there, I want to just bring this other point out. What God does next in Nehemiah in this book, God, he uses the affections that Nehemiah has for his father's homeland, his city, he uses the affections that Nehemiah has for the brokenness of another group of people to bring Nehemiah to a real place of repentance. Notice that he's, he's going to use his pain of how he's feeling to bring Nehemiah to a real place of repentance because Nehemiah is brought to a place of weeping and mourning due to the bad circumstances of somebody else. He has these deep, deep affections. And so God is going to use this, this deep, deep affection. He's going to use Nehemiah's sadness to bring him to the ultimate place of real repentance. So Nehemiah is at a low spot right now, but it is in this low spot that he's in that Nehemiah gets the most clarity. See, and, and that, that is often how God's work. It is in that position where we are broken, where we are down. It is in that place where we often get the most clarity about who God is and about who we are. And I'm sure that many of us can attest to that, that it was in that broken spot where I began to see my need for Christ. It was in that broken place that I began to see that, God, you are great and that I'm not and that I'm so in need of you. And so that is what's happening here. Nehemiah is broken, but God is using those affections to bring Nehemiah to a place of repentance. That is the beauty of the Lord. It is through that that he's really beginning to see the real reality of his own sins and the sins of his people. It is here in this pain and his brokenness. 
So look how Nehemiah prays here in verse 6 and 7. He says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying for you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I am my father's house. So Nehemiah is saying that it's not just other people that's messed up. He's taking a responsibility on himself, realizing that it wasn't just your fault, but it's on me as well. I'm a sinner as well. And it's not just those sinners over there, but I realize the sin that is on my own head. Then he says, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not come up your commandments, nor statutes, nor the ordinance, which you have commanded your servant Moses. So Nehemiah is recognizing how broken he is, but that brokenness is coming through him being torn over the children of Israel. But notice that Nehemiah, even though his situation is bad, or at least for the children of Israel, Nehemiah doesn't go and play the blame God game. Even though their situation is bad, even though they've been kicked out of their country, even though they're in captivity, even though their town has been burnt down, he doesn't go say, well, God, it's your fault. It is you. See, that's the popular narrative in society, right? When when things go wrong, it is just so easy to say, oh, it's God's fault. Where is God? Nehemiah does not do that. He does not play the blame God game. But what does he do in the midst of his tears, in the midst of his mourning and weeping and crying? How does he start his prayer in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his tears coming down his face and his mourning? He starts off his prayer with what? The great and awesome God. Look at that response. He said it's the great and awesome God. Not God, why did you do this? But he's giving God honor and praise, even though the situation is really, really bad. And that is the proper response to calamity. That's the proper response to trials. It is not to do the blame game, but as Nehemiah is doing with tears streaming down his face, he's saying the great and awesome God. He is still giving God his glory and his honor. Why? Because God is so good. But there's something very else important to note in Nehemiah's prayer to the Lord here. And that is that Nehemiah, he reminds God of his promises. Nehemiah, in his prayer to God, reminds God of his promises. Look at verse 8 and 9. Look what he says here. Nehemiah says this, Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But, but, But if you return to me and keep my commandments to do them, though those of you have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from where they are, basically, and bring them to this place that I have chosen to call my name. So what Nehemiah is doing is he's basically saying this, God, I remember what you said. I remember that you said that if we're unfaithful, you're going to scatter us. Well, we were unfaithful and you have scattered us. 
But God, remember that you said that if we return unto you, God, if we return unto you and follow your commandments, you're promising here, God, you're saying that you're going to gather us up and bring us to the dwelling place. So Nehemiah is now he is reflecting on God's promises and he's putting his faith in God's faithfulness to his word. So he's reminding God, remember what you said, God, I, I know we did wrong. But your word also said that if we turn, you're going to do this. So now he's banking on God's faithfulness because he wants to turn now. So he's appealing to God on his own promises and his prayer. See, the method of prayer that Nehemiah is doing in these verses that you're reading actually has a name. There's actually books written about this type of prayer. What Nehemiah is doing, he's doing something called praying the Bible are praying the scriptures, are praying the word, where you make the basis of the scripture the point of your prayer. It's not you're just coming in there with some general prayer, but you're using the promises or the word of God as the basis of you approaching him. And so that is what Nehemiah is doing here in his prayer. He's not just giving God any prayer, but he's going back to the promises. He's he's bringing God's word to God, saying, God, remember, this is what you said. So I'm putting my trust in my prayer and petition is based solely on your word and what you gave to your servant Moses. Nehemiah is doing what people call a prayer secret and praying the Bible. He's praying the word, praying the scriptures. And if you read through the word, you're going to see this all over the place where men and women of God, as they pray, they're praying scripture. They're praying promises. They're not just offering up their own general prayer, but they're praying the words of the psalmist in Psalms 42 when he says that my heart beats for you as the deer beats for the, um, is thirsty for the water brooks. He, he's, he's adding these words of scripture to his prayer. Matter of fact, I want to show you a place where you can find that just in the New Testament. Go to Acts chapter four. Go to Acts chapter four. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. I'm not going to read the whole prayer. I just want to just point you and give you some direction as you study. So right here in the scripture, you have John and Peter. They were arrested for sharing the gospel. They are released. And after they're released for sharing the gospel, they go back to the church, which is a house church, to the body. And as they get there with the believers, they all begin to pray. And look what happens, how they pray here. 23 says, When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. So now he's quoting scripture. They're praying. They're praying scripture, not just general prayers. 25 says, who by the Holy Spirit to the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why did the Gentiles rage and the people diffuse, um, diffuse futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And as you keep going on, they're, they're praying. And what we come to find out at they, after they finished praying the scriptures, it says that the house was shaken and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. But the point is that they're praying the scriptures. So as you go in your prayer time, learn how to pray the scriptures. Go to the psalmist. 
Go to the word. And as you pray, begin to pray the things that God has promised. Pray the promises of God. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He's praying God's, he's, he's depending and praying on God's faithfulness. Knowing that God said that if we return, you will do this work. So Nehemiah is looking to God to do the work that the Lord said he would. So back to Nehemiah, back to Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is now in this text. He's, he's interceding for his people as we're reading his prayer. He's confessing his own sins. He's repenting. He's reminding God of his promises and to those who would return to him. And then God does that thing that we don't like oftentimes. When we're praying for another individual, we're praying for another person's circumstance or situation. We're praying, God, will you move in this place? God, will you go and give food? And will you go help them get clothing? And will you help this person get a job? And then God says, yes, I am going to move in this situation. And I am going to, going to change the situation. But guess what? You're going to be the one that I do it through. You're going to be the one. They're hungry. You're going to feed them. They need this. You're going to do it. And so that's what's happening here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is making this petition to the Lord on behalf of the children of Israel. He's praying to God. And then God is saying, Nehemiah, guess what? You're going to be the one that I worked through. I'm going to answer your prayer, Nehemiah, by giving you the boldness and the courage to go and approach the king by putting your own life on the line, Nehemiah, just so you can get permission to go to Jerusalem and go and build up the city and build up the wall. See, I'm answering your prayer, Nehemiah, but it's probably not the way you want, but it's the way that I am choosing. So God is answering his prayer by using Nehemiah to go and do the work that Nehemiah is so broken over. And that's what you find here in this, this book. And this brings us to the purpose now, or the point of calling and purpose. Because Nehemiah is now about to walk in his divine calling. He is now in his text about to walk in his divine purpose. God is going to use Nehemiah to bring revival and reform to a burnt down and broken people. He's going to use Nehemiah again to bring revival and reform to a broken people and a broken city. He's going to elevate Nehemiah from the point of being the king's cupbearer to now the governor of Judah. He's going to be uh, from a a cupbearer serving the king wine to now being the governor of Judah. Nehemiah is now about to walk in his divine calling, his divine purpose. And you can find that in your own time, chapter 2, verse uh, 2, where you see how he's going to approach the king and he's going to go and begin to walk truly in his calling. But that's Nehemiah. But what about you? Again, what about you? What is your calling? What is your purpose? We see the Apostle Paul, he was called what? To the Gentiles. We see Peter, he was called what? To the Jews. There were other people who were called to the local church in the form of deacons and, and teachers. We also see one of our sisters in Christ, uh, Tabitha or, or Dorcas, she was called to the widows. In Acts 9, we have a lady named Dorcas, and she, um, her ministry was to widows. She would make them clothing. And when she had passed away, the scripture says that all of the widows were surrounding her, holding up the garments that she made for them. So this lady had a ministry to the widows. 
So we see there's people all through all scripture with these particular callings upon their life. But what about you? What is your calling? Have you thought on that? Have you thought about the purposes that God has for you, that 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 thing that is inside of you? And I'm sure right now some of you are saying, well, Brother Jerome, I don't know my calling. I've thought about it, but I have no idea why God has me, which way he wants to use me in ministry. But let's take a page from the book of Nehemiah. Let me ask you this question. What burdens you? Because Nehemiah was burdened, right? By his people. He was burdened by their situation. He was burdened by how, how bad the city was. And so that was the thing that was moving Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah, look, he never seen the glory days of Israel. The temple was already torn down and looking bad when he got there. He, he, he didn't see those glory days of Solomon, but yet he was still broken for his people in the city. That was his burden. So, so what is your burden? What, is there a group of people you feel you're called to? Is there a particular uh, people group? Is there a particular situation that you feel you are called to? What bothers you or, or what even annoys you? Because it may be that thing that annoys you that you are called to fix and to act upon. God could change that annoyance to love. So, so what is it? Is it, is it homeless? Is it, is it un, the kids of undocumented workers? Is it single mothers? Is it fatherlessness? I mean, there's, there's so many things out there. But you're going to ask yourself, what bothers me? What burdens me? What is my call to? And we see Nehemiah, he answered the call. So examine your own lives, my brothers and sisters, to see how God is, is moving in you because he can change even that annoyance that you have to a passion. As I mentioned earlier, my passion or one of my passions is the homeless ministry, the prison ministry. Particularly when I'm ministering to the homeless, some of you know who've been to the mission, you drive to the mission and you see people sleeping on the sides of the road and I have a jacket on and I'm seeing how cold it is and and, and it is that that pumps me up to really want to preach the gospel because I'm saying if they only knew the Savior they only knew this love that God has for them God would change and, and move in their situation so see it is that burden that 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 drives me to the mission where I go See, God works with our burdens. He works with those things that are inside of us to carry out his purpose like he's doing for Nehemiah. So that's why I ask you, what is bothering you? What is burdening you? That may be the thing that you're called to act upon for the name of the Lord. So Nehemiah finds his calling in the thing that breaks his heart, which is also the thing that brings him to a place of true repentance. And I'm bringing this point out is because as Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem to build up the people, to call them to repentance, to bring reform and revival, before Nehemiah could be that leader, before Nehemiah could be that change agent, he had to repent and to return to God himself. See, at this church, we want to make disciples, right? We want to be a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples, that makes disciples. But before you can make a disciple, you have to be a disciple yourself. 
And that is, that is the, that is the most important thing. And, and I love how, uh, the guy at Soma, how he defines disciple. He defined it as a, as a person who worships Jesus in all of life, is being changed by Jesus in all of life, obeys Jesus in all of life, and teaches others to do the same. I agree with that statement. I believe that's biblical. That's what a disciple looks like. A disciple is not someone that just shares the gospel. That's evangelism. But that's just, that's a part of it. That's not it. A disciple is not someone that just invites somebody to church. That's a part of it, but that's not it. But it is submitting your life to Jesus in all things, meaning that your marriage is now submitting to Christ, meaning that your relationship with others now being submitted to Christ and to his glory, meaning that your finances are now being submitted to Christ and his glory, meaning that your time, your free extra time is being submitted to Christ and for his glory. That's a disciple where all of life is submitted to obedience to Christ. So if we're going to be disciples that make disciples. Let's make sure we are disciples ourselves, that we're really following him and striving. And I don't want to put out no perfectionism here. We're saying you have to have all this stuff down, but we have to be striving for this thing to submit to Christ in all of life. So Nehemiah, with this commission that he receives from God, he's headed to Jerusalem, as you will see in chapter two, when you begin to read it. He's headed to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, to rebuild the wall. That sin has destroyed. Again, Nehemiah is headed to the city to rebuild this wall that sin has destroyed. Because, see, before this uh, occupation, I guess you would say, happened, Jerusalem, because some of you are reading like, what's so important about a wall, right? You, you can read this and you can be like, why is he so burdened? in the scripture about building up a wall. And if you don't understand the context, you would just take that and not really get it. Jerusalem, the wall was part of its glory. You got to understand that in Jerusalem. The temple and the wall and the whole city, that was a part of Jerusalem's glory. And so the fact that this wall is down, it's like a reproach to the children of Israel. So this is a this is a big deal that Nehemiah is going to do, or his, his efforts. This is a big deal that he's going back to this city to rebuild this wall. It's not just a light little thing like this is a little wall. This wall was torn down because of sin. And Nehemiah is now going to rebuild this thing back up. Because of God's work and his redemption and his forgiveness. So please understand that and don't take that as just a a light thing. But he's going back and building up something that sin has destroyed. And it's another deeper meaning to that, but we'll get there in a minute. So now with this commission, Nehemiah, in the process of building this city, begins to see the wickedness of the people. And it is through this wickedness that of the people, their greediness, their greed, he begins to see that we need reform here, that we need change here. The point that I'm bringing out here is that when Nehemiah gets there, he doesn't first go to the city and begin to preach repentance. He doesn't first go to the city and begin preaching and yelling at people. But the scripture tells us that when Nehemiah first goes there, he goes and he assesses the situation. He goes in the sessions to see how bad things really are. He doesn't go in there believing that, hey, I have the solution. I have the answer. I know what your problem is. But he actually takes his time and he, and he walks in there and he assesses to see how bad the situation really is. Matter of fact, go to chapter 2, verse 
11 through 13. I want you to see this. It says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days and I arose in the night and a few men with me and I did not tell anyone what God was putting on my mind to do for Jerusalem. So he's there. They don't have any idea what Nehemiah is planning to do. He said, there was no animal with me except the animal on which I was riding. So I went out by night or at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's well and on the refuse of the gate. Look what he's doing. He's inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and his gates, which were consumed by fire. So the point here that is that Nehemiah, even though he has heard the bad news, he's first from now going and inspect to see how bad the situation really is, which, which helps us to understand even when we go and approach communities and individuals and people, we can't go in there just assuming that we know the answer, that we have the solution. But like Nehemiah, we must assess and see what is the right word of the gospel that we must sow if we're having a communication with a person. We're not just coming in there knowing what's happening, but just like Nehemiah, he's taking an assessment. He's looking, he's listening, he's seeing what's going on. Because there's, see, there's a debate in evangelical circles where it's like, do we first go in and preach the message? Or do we bring good works? Or do we go in and bring good works first and, and, and preach the message? And, and so there's always been this debate among believers on how you're going to approach. But we see in the case of Nehemiah that he had a particular call. And his call was to rebuild the wall first. And it was through this wall that he began to see the sin that was in the city. And it was from there that he brings reform and change. So sometimes our gospel works, our lifestyle maybe go before us and then the message or vice versa, where it's the message and then our gospel works. There's no reason to get all caught up in a, a format and being bogged down to that. But it's the point is that we're taking this gospel and we're using it. To build up where God has or where the enemy has destroyed. So after all has been said and done with Nehemiah, calling people to repentance as he goes in the book of Nehemiah, as he brings about reform, as he brings about a change, as he brings obedience to Christ. I bet that right now some of you are saying that that's great for Nehemiah, right? That's great that he could do those things, that God could use him, that God could do a great work in him. But I could never have an impact like that. I could never be a Nehemiah. I mean, be a Nehemiah. But you must remember again that Nehemiah was just a few weeks ago serving wine to the king. Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a Levite. He was not the ones that we think would be the one doing this work. He was a cupbearer. But it was just by God's calling and his obedience to the call that he was able to go and impact his city and to build up broken people and to build up a broken city. So if God can use Nehemiah, guess what? God can use you. He can use you to have an impact. It doesn't matter about your history. It doesn't matter about your past. If God is going to use a cupbearer to raise up a nation, to, to build up hope in people, to raise up a city, then he can use you. There's no excuse. He did a great thing in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going back to the city and he is building up what sin has destroyed. 
And guess what? You are builders just like Nehemiah. We're all builders just like Nehemiah. See, our job, our our commission, just like Nehemiah, because we've all been given a commission. Nehemiah was given a commission to go and build up a wall. We have been given a commission to build God's kingdom here on earth. We're God's builders. We have a commission. And we build with this gospel message. We build with a gospel lifestyle where, where sin has destroyed a community, where sin has destroyed a situation, just like the children of Israel with their wall being destroyed. We as builders like Nehemiah must go with a gospel message of hope and to build up what sin has destroyed. You have that commission. That's what the gospel, that is what the great commission is about. It is about the kingdom of God. It is about spreading his kingdom. It is about removing darkness and you bring it in the light of the gospel. See, we're builders. We're just like Nehemiah. We have this commission to go. We have this light to build, build up what sin has destroyed. And some would say, but Brother Jerome, I have so much going on in my life now. I can't, I can't afford or even think about going in front of build somebody up, else up and to do all these other things. But I want to remind you what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, that to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you're concerned about, money, housing, all these clothes, food, all that stuff, that's going to be taken care of. But your priority, our priority as the church is to build, build his kingdom through preaching the gospel, through living the gospel, through gospel works, through gospel deeds. We must build up the kingdom of God. You have a call and it is in that call that God is going to use you to build his kingdom. But you got to, you got to pray on this thing. You got to speak and talk to the Lord. Like God, what is my calling? God, how can you use me? How can I build your kingdom? God, where do you want me to build? What area that has been destroyed? God, that you want me to build up like Nehemiah. I know I have the commission. I've read Matthew 28, 19 and on and on. I see I got the commission, God, but where do you want me to build? That is a thought that we have to have on our mind, on our conscience. Because God didn't allow you to come here for no reason. You're builders. We're builders of his kingdom. And God is going to do a work in us. By his power to his glory, just like our brother Nehemiah built up a broken city to a city that turned to God. He brought revival in. And this was a cupbearer, not a priest, not a real holy person that we would expect. Just a regular Joe, just like God used fishermen to spread his message. He's using fishermen, a cupbearer. God could use us. He can use you to build his kingdom. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for your word. 
God, I pray that you just put the hearts of my brothers and sisters, set it on fire for your purposes. God, the purpose that you have called them to, to build your kingdom there, to trust in you. God, you have equipped us with the tools to build, Lord. So I'm praying that my brothers and sisters, God, that you just move upon their heart to want to do more for you, for your kingdom's sake, to see your, your gospel spread across this world. God, make them sure of their calling, their purpose that you have for them, that they may know you, that they may walk in it, because it is only in following you that we get that abundant life, that life really begins to happen as we follow you in obedience. So God, I'm praying that you make it clear to my brothers and sisters here who are wondering, who are not knowing what is the next step. God, I want to build for you. I want to build, but how do I go about it? God, I'm praying that you just touch their mind, give them wisdom, put your anointing on them, God, that they go and operate in a right manner, in the right way. You are so glorious, God. You are so awesome. We thank you for allowing us to be workers in your field, to build your kingdom. We thank you for using us to be a part of your construction, to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.